what's going on? It's Matt Polis, and it's time for another episode of Meat Sauce for Tuesday, April the 6th, 2021. This is episode number 25. Welcome back, and thanks for joining me. I hope the last week or so has treated you well. I hope you had a nice Easter weekend. I hope you've had a good start to April. The weather is really heating up here in southeast Michigan. I think the high today is supposed to be like 79 or 80 degrees. Holy cow. I don't really have a ton to talk about today. I do have a good amount of what's on the shelf today. I have a little little something different, shaking things up a little bit. And as always, then getting into some sports. So with that, let's go ahead and get into this week's edition of What's on the Shelf. Like I said, I'm switching it up a little bit this week. Wanted to offer a, a short list of suggestions for someone who's interested in getting into bourbon but doesn't know where to start. And I know, you know, week over week I've been giving specific bottles, so it can kind of get uh, confusing as to like which bottles, you know, I'm talking about to get, especially if you're starting out, you don't want to spend a lot of money. So today I'm giving you five bottles of bourbon to try for under $30. I wanted to put this list together because with the current bourbon boom happening across the country, there are so many different bottles to choose from, you know, and if someone wants to get into drinking bourbon, it can really be overwhelming from a selection standpoint and from a wallet standpoint. I think the the thing to know first is that there's a great, there is great tasting bourbon that does not cost a lot of money. You know, there are, there are people out there who will assume that the only good bourbon out there is going to cost at least $60 a bottle, and if you want to get the really, really high-end stuff, you're going to have to have to pay $200 a bottle, and that just isn't the case. I mean, those things are out there, yes, but there's so much great value in bourbon out there, and so I purposely crafted this list to feature five different distilleries, which provide five different flavor profiles. And, and so this would allow you to decide for yourself kind of which you prefer, and then you know can help you venture out from there uh, with where you want to go you know, on your bourbon journey. Uh, these bourbons are also typically readily available anywhere you go, so you shouldn't have too much trouble finding them. And if you've had some of these, I will, I'm also going to recommend kind of their bigger brothers uh, of these bottles, you know, that are typically a little more expensive and higher in proof. But if you've already had some of these, then, uh, and you want, and you liked those and you want to take the next step up within the same flavor profile, I'm going to give kind of their big brothers uh, that's out there on the market. So number five on the list is going to be Maker's Mark Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Maker's Mark is a weeded bourbon, you know, which means instead of their secondary grain being rye, they use red winter wheat. This provides the bourbon with a sweeter profile. It doesn't have that typical rye spice or burn that people associate with bourbon. Uh, this bottle comes in at 90 proof, is aged five to six years, and retails anywhere between $25 and $30. Uh, it can be a great daily sipper, either neat on the rocks or in a cocktail. I typically have been using makers to make like hot toddies. Um, I have drank it neat 
it's okay for me neat. Um, I do really like it in the hot toddy. I could see it going well with uh, any sort of old fashioned or cocktail like that. Um, if you've had this offering, which Maker's Mark is kind of a staple when you go to the store, you, that's it's the one with the red wax, like you see it everywhere you go. Um, so you may have had it, and if you've liked it, I would recommend trying out their, they say limited edition, but Maker's Mark 101. So it's basically the exact same makers as the regular Maker's Mark. They just don't proof it down all the way to 90. They just leave it at 101, and that just gives it a little more... Uh, kick in the pants, if you will, a little more oomph. So I, I actually really like the 101. They, like I said, they say on the box it's a limited edition, but I've seen it. It's all over Michigan, uh, so they have a crazy amount of it. So I think it was mainly meant for like a holiday release, but I, I've gone into several liquor stores and they just have boxes of them. So uh, they also have their Maker's Mark cask strength version, which is, again, the same exact Maker's at the 90 proof. They just don't proof it down at all. So what it exits the barrel at is where it, where they bottle it at as well. So those are also good. It just gives you a little bit of different flavor profile, a little bit, again, a little bit more oomph. And yeah, so that's Maker's Mark at number five. At number four on the list is going to be Four Roses Yellow Label Bourbon. Now, this is one I have not had personally, although I have had the bottle up from this one, which is the Four Roses Small Batch. I think I did uh, an episode of What's on the Shelf with that. Um, but I chose this one because of its entry-level proof and entry-level price. You know, So the four, the four Roses Yellow Label is aged for a minimum of five years, and it uses a, a higher rye mash bill featuring two different blends involving at least 20% rye in one of them and 35% rye in the other. So compared to the Maker's Mark and its weeded mash bill, the Four Roses is going to give you a little more of that rye spice if that's your thing. So... I would almost recommend, you know, maybe even getting both of those, the Maker's Mark and this one, the Four Roses, and just seeing the difference. Because again, with the Maker's, you're not going to have that rye spice because of the red winter wheat. But then with the Four Roses, you're going to have two high rye mash bills. So you should have a little bit, a little bit more of that spice, you know, again, if that's something that you enjoy in your bourbons. And if you don't know, then I would recommend just getting a bottle and, and trying it because you really won't know until you try. Uh, the nice thing about this as an entry-level bottle, it comes in at 80 proof, so very approachable if you're new to sipping bourbon, especially if you're going to want to either put it over ice or eventually drink it neat. I think the 80 proof will tone down any sort of rice, too much rye spice, so you kind of get that entry-level taste of rye as opposed to kind of punching in the mouth with that rye spice and this bottle it looks like it retails for about $22 in my area um, so if you were to get this Four Roses yellow label and you like it and you want to see what else Four Roses has to offer uh, the next step up for for this one would either be the Four Roses small batch or the Four Roses single barrel which the single barrel basically means it comes from one barrel as opposed to blending a bunch of different barrels together, which is what most of these large distilleries do to uh, produce such a high qu uh, quantity of bottles. So the single barrel comes from one barrel, and uh, so that kind of creates its uniqueness. 
All right, moving on. Number three on the list is going to be Buffalo Trace Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Buffalo Trace is one that I had on this segment a couple weeks ago, and I and I think is a great entry level bourbon for someone who's interested in, you know, something that's not too high in proof but wants a little more complex and sweeter flavor profile. You know, this bourbon isn't necessarily unique, but it provides a solid experience for what bourbon is. And coming in at around eight years old, 90 proof, you can't really beat the retail price of $26. You know, it is it is a really nice sipping bourbon. And I think it gives you the sweetness of what maybe the Maker's Mark can give you with the red winter wheat. But what the difference is here, there is rye within this mash bill in Buffalo Trace. And you're getting a little older of a bourbon, so eight years old. So you're going to be getting a little more of that potential oak flavor. So you can kind of start understanding what oak is. I am personally still trying to figure out what the heck I'm tasting when I'm looking for oak in a bourbon. But um, Buffalo Trace would be a great option. Again, lower, 90 proof. Uh, it, it does have a sweet overall profile with a little bit of rye spice and some oak on the back end being that eight years old so for 26 dollars again it's a great sipper it's incredibly popular Uh, i think this buffalo trace has really allocated bottles all over the country that are impossible to find buffalo trace is by far their most readily available so um, if you've had buffalo trace and you're looking for like what's the next step within the buffalo trace distillery I would say Eagle Rare. Eagle Rare is basically the same mash bill, same everything. It's just 10 years old as opposed to eight. So it's a little bit older. You're going to get a little more oak involved. Um, It's To me, having the Eagle Rare, it's a little more rounded, a little more well-rounded than the Buffalo Trace is. So it's even an easier sipper, in my opinion. Still coming in at that low, low 90s proof. The only problem with Eagle Rare, it's very hard to find. At least right now, it's starting to be allocated heavily. I know when I got my bottle of it, the owner of the liquor store literally walked to the back of the store to go get it. It didn't. He didn't have it on a shelf anywhere because if they're on the shelf, people take them like crazy. So he keeps them in the back until you, I guess, ask for them. So, so yeah, I would say Eagle Rare. Other than that, there's really not another bit, you know, level up unless you're gonna start hunting for bottles and. I just can't justify truly hunting for bottles just yet. So pro tip for for you out there, a lot of Buffalo Trace products, really hard to find. I would probably just stick with Buffalo Trace, the regular uh, release that's more readily available. All right, number two on the list is possibly, to me, one of the most underrated and overlooked bourbons on the market, and that is Wild Turkey 101. I've yet to buy a second bottle of this, mostly because I've wanted just to try some others before coming back to it. There's like I, you know, I'm making this list because there's so many bourbons out there. I, I'm like having a hard time justifying going back and buying multiple bottles of the same thing because I still want to just I want to keep trying so many more uh, different ones to see what I like and see you know make sure I'm well-rounded, if you will. But when the time comes, I will definitely be picking up another one of these bottles. I mean, they're so, so good. So Wild Turkey 101 is a blend of six, seven, and eight-year-old bourbons. With the 101 proof, you're definitely turning the dial up a little bit with this bottle. You know, you get a decent amount of spice on this one along with some oak, and they have that number four rated barrel char, which means they 
burn the crap out of these barrels before they put the liquid in. It kind of gives them this, uh, what they, they call it like alligator char because the, the barrels get all scaly and kind of reptile so similar to an alligator. And it, it creates all these crevices that when the bourbon's put into the barrels, it, it gets into those crevices and kind of soaks up more of what the what the wood what the oak wood has to uh, has to offer there so uh, the hints of vanilla and and caramel really round this bottle out nicely and provide a, a great sipping experience all for just about 22 to 26 dollars a bottle you know i really like the 101 i i really like wild turkey in general i think this one is a great a great next level up from even some of the ones I've mentioned today, just because of the higher proof. And you're still getting six, seven, eight-year-old blend of, of bourbon, which is really, you know, a good deal for for under $30, you know, and you have the, the 101 proof. So again, you're cranking it up just a little bit, you know, so if, if you're really just drinking bourbon for the first time, trying it neat, I would say go with some of the ones I mentioned earlier just because of the lower proof point. And if you feel like you feel comfortable with that 90 proof, you know, go up to the 101. You know, it's not that much of a difference, but you will definitely notice more of a punch, I think. I kind of just went for a lot of the higher proofs right off the bat, mostly just because I don't really know why. I, I don't know why I just kind of went for it, but I was, I've been able to kind of, to kind of handle it. So, humble brag. Uh, and then if you've had the 101 and you like that and you're like, man, I really like that wild turkey. I like that kind of funk that they have. If you're looking for a step up from the 101, I would check out wild turkey rare breed. It's absolutely fantastic. Like if you like the 101, the wild turkey rare breed for 20 more dollars, I think it's a $45 bottle. Holy cow. That thing is so freaking good. I would even say after you have 101 to try it, I would just say keep buying the rare breed because it is just so good. Again, for $20 more, you're getting a bottle that's non-chill filtered, 116 proof, barrel proof. I mean, it is it is a hitter of a bottle for only $45. So, but I would start with the 101, see if you like that, and then jump up to the rare breed. And finally here, number one on the list will feature, it's going to feature two bottles, one of the lower proof version of it and then one of the higher proof version uh, because I think they're both worth it and they're both around the same price. So number one on the list is the Old Forester 86 proof blue label and the Old Forester 100 proof orange label. I find myself time after time, time after time, coming back to Old Forester bottles and their flavor profile. I have finished one bottle of the 86 and currently have a bottle of the 100 proof open on the shelf right now. And I don't know why I held off buying the 100 proofs for so long. I think I, I, I don't know why. I, it's so freaking good. It's a fantastic daily sipper. It provides such a rich experience of sweet caramel you know and, and there's uh, this ever so like apparent banana note within old forester and really the brown foreman family there's just this kind of banana either banana runt banana bread kind of depending on which bottle you have uh and it's really really nice i <laughs> i just like will 
smell it and then drink it and just enjoy the entire experience. Probably too much information. Um, so in my area, the 86 proof bottle comes in at around $22 and the 100 proof bottle comes in around $24 to $26. So if you're new to bourbon, I would start with the 86 proof. If you want something a little punchier, then move up to the 100 proof. You know, it's the exact same bourbon. The juice in the bottle is the exact same. They just proof down one to 86 proof and they leave one at 100 proof. Again, I think these might be some of the the best daily sippers and they're always available like multiple bottles on the shelf i i now have several other of the old forester products and they're just all so so good so if you've had the 86 and you like that and you want to bump up a little bit and you like the 100 proof and you've had that i would and you're wondering you know man i really like this old forester profile what else is out there then I would check out their Whiskey Row series, including the Old Forester 1910 and Old Forester 1920. They have two other bottles as well. I think it's the 1870-something and then the 1897. And the 1910 and 1920 are the go-tos for the Whiskey Row series. They are phenomenal, so you will not be disappointed. So if you like the 86, you like the 100... You're trying. You're you're wanting to see what else Old Forester puts out there. I would check out the 1910 and the 1920. They fantastic. They're doing such a great a great job over there at Old Forester. I can't get over it. All right, so there you have it. Five bottles that I think offer a wide variety of flavor profiles can be a great starting point for figuring out you know what you like to taste in your bourbon, whether it be sweet, spicy, or a good mix of both. Whether you like, you know, want to drink it in a cocktail over ice or neat, I think all of these options. I mean, you can literally go out and just buy all four or five of these bottles, and it'll be like a hundred bucks, basically. But you'll be set for a long time, and you'll have so different profiles in each one, to where you can kind of start picking out like the differences and the nuances about each distillery and then go from there as far as if you want to, you know, maybe you get all five and really you only like the Buffalo Trace out of those five the most. You like them all, but Buffalo Trace is like clearly a standout. You know, then it's like, okay, well, now how do I get the Buffalo, the the next step up in the Buffalo Trace lineup? And, you know, so definitely, you know, definitely recommend starting out with these if, if you're again not really sure where to go and yeah that's all i've got for this week's what's on the shelf all right let's get into a little bit of sports from the past week sports 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 do you see that gonzaga ucla game saturday night in the final four holy cow what an amazing game from start to finish. It was back and forth the entire time. Just when I thought one team was starting to pull away, the other team was like, nope, come back here. Then you finish the second half. Then you finish the second half with going to overtime, and then you finish overtime with nearly a half-court shot to win the game. Just unreal. An unreal game. I remember, you know, in those final seconds of overtime when UCLA scored, I was like, oh, here we go. Two overtimes. Can't believe it. 
And then they they UCLA did not do I don't know what it was. I don't know if UCLA didn't do a good job or Gonzaga did a great job of pushing the ball up the floor and not wasting any time because UCLA was not ready for that guy to be basically at half court with like a second and a half left. So pretty amazing, pretty amazing finish. Shout out to Mick Cronin and UCLA. Fantastic tournament. Played their butts off. I mean, they were an 11 seed. They played in the play-in game against Michigan State at the very beginning of all this. So shout out to them. Shout out to Gonzaga. And then you have the game last night. Gonzaga looked, I mean, they didn't look the same that they've looked all tournament or all season. I don't know if they were tired. I, they they just were kind of off. They just had an off night. But Baylor, whole, I mean, nothing can take away from what Baylor was able to do. Regardless if Gonzaga was, you know, maybe off a little bit, Baylor was unbelievable. All facets of the game. Defense, they just swarmed like a freaking hive of bees to the ball. Like it was, and the speed in their point guard, I think last name Mitchell, he flies around the court. And they they were just relentless. You know, if somebody made a mistake, they were right back where they needed to be to make a play. Like within seconds, like there was no, there was no time for pause or to let up. Like they dominated the entire game. Well deserved by Baylor. Can't get over how well they played, you know. And and obviously they dominated Houston in the Final Four as well. Like I I didn't even like plan to talk about that game because it was just <laughs> total domination. So shout out to Baylor. Shout out to Gonzaga. What a great tournament. I'm so glad I watched so many games. <laughs> I watched literally so many games, and it was just, every single one was just so fun. So NCAA tournament, they just do such an awesome job with everything. I honestly, I don't think it'll ever be like this again, but I kind of like everything being played in one city. I don't know what makes that fun, but it was just kind of neat to feel like you know they're in this bubble, although I'm sure the bubble was not healthy for the players as far as like being basically hotel room, basketball court, hotel room, basketball court, you know, not getting to like be a human for a month, but great job to everybody involved in setting that whole thing up with the COVID protocols and in all of that. So such a fun tournament for us fans to sit at home and watch and fans even, you know, getting to go and watch pretty awesome. All right, here, before I get to some Reds updates, I wanted to give a quick shout-out also. Lots of shout-outs today. Shout-out. Shout-out. Shout-out to former Reds pitcher Trevor Bauer. Trevor made his debut over the weekend with his new team, the L.A. Dodgers. He announced prior to his start that he will be donating $1,000 per strikeout to different charities and programs in the L.A. area all season long. Each month is going to feature a different charity or program. And I think it's just incredible that Bauer is doing that. You know, obviously he signed a massive contract. I think he's making roughly like 30 to $33 million a year each year over the next three. So just the, the fact that he wants to give back. And he's from the L.A. area, so I think he went to UCLA for college. Just the fact that he wants to give back so aggressively I think is pretty amazing. So in his first start, he had 10 strikeouts. So right there, he's donating $10,000, you 
you know, and it's going to benefit people who really, you know, could use that money regardless, you know, whichever program or, or charity it is, you know, it's just going to help people the entire season. I think that's an amazing thing. And it's, you know, Trevor Bauer is a workhorse. He's a strikeout machine. There's, there's definitely a possibility that he's going to record 200 strikeouts this season. And, you know, like I said, he's always been a high strikeout guy. So think about 200, stri- 200 plus strikeouts, thousand dollars a pop. It just makes me want to root for Trevor even even more, you know. Except against the Reds, of course. So kudos to you, Trevor. I think that's I think that's amazing. So Trevor, if you're listening, you know, give me a call. You know, let's talk. I'll have you on the podcast. It'll be great. Speaking of those red legs, let's get into some highlights from the first few games of the season. I will say first before I get into my fandom. Baseball is such a hard sport to judge with such a small sample size. You know, it's a, a, a incredibly long season. Obviously, a lot can change over the course of the season, you know, but everyone wants to see their teams at least start off strong and look like they have it figured out from the beginning. You know, even if there are moments throughout the season where they struggle, you know, and, and the Reds are going to struggle at some point throughout the season. It's just going to happen. It's it's part of the, the daily grind of the game. And so opening day was a balmy 38 degrees last Thursday. And it was clear that Luis Castillo was having some control issues from the cold weather, not able to grip the baseball as well as he probably wanted to. One thing I was excited to see from the Reds on opening day, even though they lost, is that they put runs on the board and they weren't just all from home runs. You had guys getting on base via line drive, base hits, you know, and this really would continue for the rest of the weekend against the Cardinals. I mean, there, don't get me wrong. There was definitely a fair share of home runs, you know, but the overall ability to get on base, move guys over, drive them in was a sight I honestly did not expect to see this early from this Reds team. You know, all last season, it was home run or bust and frustrating. You know, you get one guy on and there's you just don't get him in because, you know, you don't hit a home run. So to see that difference just in the first series of the season, pretty amazing. You know, it's really, really good. There's clearly been a difference in offensive approach. You know, now I don't know if the coaches have adjusted what they're doing from last year or if the hitters have bought in more into this style. You know, maybe the coaches were preaching this last year and it just didn't come to fruition. But, you know, maybe the hitters are, you know, buying in, so to speak. But you would think, I mean you know, hitters want to just hit the ball. They don't always, they're not thinking about home runs, but it it comes across to the fans as, you know, when you're just hitting fly balls all the time that they're, oh, they're just trying to hit home runs. But to see them have more level swings, driving the ball into the gaps in the outfield, just, you know, putting the ball in play, making the defense make the plays. And it was evident over the weekend, like St. Louis's defense, not ready because, we put the ball in play a lot, and they had a ton of errors. So it was clear, you know, you just put the ball in play and, again, put the pressure on the defense to make a play. You know, run hard, be aggressive on the base paths, and and force the defense to get you out. You know, but, again, obviously, a long season, a lot can happen. I'm really, really impressed with where they are offensively. You know, even last night against the Pirates, you know, they did end up having to rely on the home run ball to win that ball game. But there were also, I, th- I forget which inning it was, seventh or eighth, I think. You know, they got a couple extra runs by base hits. 
you know, getting a couple guys on, moving them around the base paths. I mean, it was just, it's been a clinic so far offensively. And it, it almost feels like this is what everyone was expecting when we signed Nick Castellanos, you know, before the season last year and Mike Moustakis and Shogo Akiyama, even though Akiyama's still out right now. But you're just seeing this team able just to string hits together. Jonathan India, holy cow, I'm going to get into him in a second here. Uh, the bullpen, shout out, shout out, seems a lot deeper than I initially realized. I think I think I mentioned here last week I was concerned about bullpen depth, you know, but they were they were bringing in guys that were throwing strikes, getting themselves out of jams. You know, it almost feels like a more major league ready, major league experienced bullpen. You have Cam Bedrosian, who was with the Angels for a while. He's looked great so far. You have CNL, Cyanel Perez, who came from the Houston Astros. So another guy with major league experience. Sal Romano, who's been up and down within the Reds organization. Sean Doolittle, who has plenty of experience, including winning a World Series as a closer. And then you have Carson Fulmer coming over from the White Sox, who also has a solid amount of experience in the majors. So this is a bullpen that up and down the roster has a ton of major league experience. And that could really bode well for the Reds this year. You know, and you have guys who have closed out games, who have been in those high pressure situations that are now pushed back into those earlier innings, into those six, seven, eight innings to where their experience is going to, I would think, thrive in a sixth inning. You know, seeing Sean Doolittle come in, throw 95 in the seventh, I mean, I'm all about that, you know. So it, it was impressive this past weekend. You know, again, just watching guy after guy come into the game, record outs, strikeouts, you know, and up until last night, we hadn't even seen Amir Garrett or Lucas Sims yet this season, you know. So it's like fourth game. It took until the fourth game to see our two best relievers. I think that's pretty awesome. So really thrilled about the bullpen. I, I actually think I'm more thrilled about the bullpen than the starting pitching. And the starting pitching has been good, too. <laughs> like Tyler Malley shoved. Like he had a great game. I think he pitched Saturday, you know, and then Jeff Hoffman had a good a good uh, first start with the Reds Sunday, you know, so it's exciting. I, whew. I think if the Reds can hold on to the attitude and energy that Nick Castellanos has, if they can hold on to that for a good portion of this season, I think it's going to be a very fun time to be a Reds fan. You know, I think Castellanos has easily won over Reds, Reds country already. You know, obviously he was with the team last year, but no fans in the stands. He he was not that. Like, what he is so far this season was not really that last year. I'm so glad to have him on the team. You know, the guy just wants to win, doesn't care about anything other than winning. And this team needs that kind of attitude. You know, they don't really get it from Joey Votto, unfortunately. But Joey's just never really been that guy. He's never been that vocal like verbal, like uh, outwardly vocal on the field, all of that. I mean, he can be. He's just not real. He kind of just does his business, and that's okay. But we need guys like Castellanos. You know, Trevor Bauer was kind of that guy last year, and the team just needs that kind of attitude. You know, baseball can be such a 
a mundane sport, especially again, a grind day in, day out, you need, you need to be able to create your own energy, you know, in a game that's not always fast paced, you know, and and I think Nick is setting the tone for the rest of the team. And he's really ready to put this team on his back too. And I don't want to forget another guy who's also bringing his own sense of swag is rookie Jonathan India. He clearly fits the mold of a of a ball player. You look at him and he's just like, yeah, he looks like a baseball player. You know, his confidence from day one just shows he belongs in the majors. Definitely lots to be excited about with him. I mean, and it's kind of interesting, you know, he has kind of that same same swag, same attitude that uh, Nick Castellanos has, and they're both from South Florida. So the broadcasters have been making, you know, comments about, you know, both of them being from like the South Florida area, kind of having that same swag. I'm all about it. I I freaking love it. And I, India has definitely been a spark as well to just jump in and and be the everyday second baseman right now. I, I think it's pretty amazing. So definitely lots to be excited about after that first series. If you're a Reds fan, you know, it it honestly kind of caught me <laughs> caught me by surprise. You know, with the overall good play of the team you know it, it hopefully they can keep it up you know again long season lots can happen they will have their struggles for sure but we I have to hope that they can get so ride these waves for so much longer than they are not riding the waves you know if they can string together three four five six wins and then maybe lose a couple and then do another three four five six wins I mean that that stuff starts to compound on each other really quickly so, you know, you want to get far out ahead and, and hope to maintain that uh, throughout the season, especially through your struggles, you know. So definitely exciting time. Baseball, back in full swing. Haven't watched too many other games just yet. So I have to see, have to see what else happens. But really excited as a Reds fan right now. There's some, some really good stuff happening. All right, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for joining me. Please remember to like, comment, subscribe to the show. I hope you have a great rest of your week, and I will check in with you next week. Bye, everybody.